The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. So I'd like to share with you seven stories that highlight this idea of how such chachamim, in their great wisdom, made that people felt warm, people felt beloved, people felt akadosh baruch you felt shechina, you felt that you were in the presence of greatness, and that made a great impact. The first story took place with a guy. We'll call him Keith. Keith, he was born Jewish, but that was about it. He had nothing to do with religion whatsoever, and he actually was born in all places, in Brooklyn, New York. He completely shunned any lifestyle of Judaism, and when he was around 18, 19 years old, he just got on his 1952 Chevy pickup, and he just drove out west. Very grateful to Rapes Sachron for sharing this story. He drove all the way out west and went to Glacier Mountain Park near Montana. He was going between Montana, the Dakotas, Idaho, basically no man's land. And he was just living a nomadic lifestyle. And he got pulled in eventually to the Sioux Indian tribe. He started sleeping in teepee huts. He started making fires from twigs. He knew how to hunt with bow and arrow. He basically became an Indian. And he was following all their minagim. One day, somebody told him that you've been with us. You're basically like our brother. They gave him some wacky name. And they told him, now is the time that you have to meet the, the person who is a very wise person. She is one of our like prophets, we call them. She has the great spirit in her. And she's able to speak to people. And she can give you guidance for the next steps of your life. He said, where is this person located? They told him, in Ogala, South Dakota. So he headed off there, it's the middle of nowhere, looking for this woman. He finally met her, and he gave his credentials of who he was, how good of a Sioux Indian he was. And she said, tell me a little bit more about your background. He said, well, I was born Jewish in Brooklyn. She said, stop right there. He said, no, 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 I'm not religious. Stop. She says the following to him, if you were Christian, I would want to hear what you have to say. But you, these are great words, you come from holy white rock men. The holy white rock man who hit the rock. I can't do anything for you. There's nothing for you here. You have the secrets. You have the keys. Go back to your heritage and go back east. So he was so deflated. He's thinking, how in the world am I going to go back? What am I going to do? He said, but you know what? If she told him that, I'll give it a try. He came, comes back to Brooklyn. He's meeting one person after another. He had a long hair and no one was taking to him. So he had one list that he would ask different people, who what can I speak to? Somebody told him, the last person on his list, you got to at least give this person a try. If he can't help you, you're kind of up the creek. And who was that? Rav Shlema Freifeld, the Rosh Shiva of Shar Yashuf. Rav Freifeld was a tremendous innovator in Kiru Rechokim. Someone said you should try to speak to him. So Keith walks in, he speaks to Rabbi Freifeld, and when he came in, he tucked in his pony into the back of his collar. So Rabbi Freifeld, who was a very towering man, he was very tall, he's like around 6'8", six, 6'9", he sees Keith, and he looks around, and he says, Keith, what are you hiding? Oh, nothing, Rabbi, just out of respect for you. You have l- luscious long hair. Why are you hiding it? You have it out. Sh- strut it out. And he was very taken by that, that Rabbi Freifeld appreciated what long hair was about. And Rabbi Freifeld was schmoozing with him, telling him what it was his whole journey, what was it like. Anyways, it turns out that Rabbi Freifeld was having these very intellectual conversations with Keith the entire time about what it is to be an Indian, what does it take, what things do you have to do to be a Sioux Indian, do you move up in rank, how do you get uh, promoted, how do you get demoted. What is it? He was genuinely interested in it. All they talked about was being a Sioux Indian. And once in a while, Rabbi Freifel will throw, oh yeah, yeah, our rabbis tell us this, oh, and Judaism is about, but mainly it was about Keith. In the middle, Rabbi Freifel, as they were talking, suddenly got an emergency call. He had to get up and excuse himself. He says, if you don't mind, I just have to go take this call. He walked outside of his office, and as he walked, 
he hit a book that happened to be on the floor. He hit a book across and went to one of the Sfarim shelves. So Keith naturally thought, these are all holy books. If Rabbi Freifeld dropped a book, and he's a very tall man, I don't want him to kneel down and pick up the book and hurt himself. So Keith got up, kneeled down, and as he's picking up the book, he's shocked. He sees this book is actually, there's a whole trail of books leading to under Rabbi Freifeld's desk. As he's bringing the books back, he notices there's a whole stack of books. Native American history. How Native Americans hunt. What do Native Americans use for their tribal languages? There's a whole know-how what it is to be a Native American. He suddenly realized, this rabbi is trying to understand me. He's trying to read about Native Americans, so I should feel comfortable with who I am. Right there on the spot, he decided he's going to be a Chazer B'tshuva. When Rabbi Freifel came in, he says, Rabbi, I want to learn Gemara, I want to learn Torah, I want to learn. Well, you're talking about Native Americans. No, and he told him the whole story. He says, you took the time to show warmth and show that you want to level with me and understand me, I want to understand you. That is amazing. And I want to be of the Jewish faith. If you're a rabbi, I want to be something like that as well. And to this day, this Keith, he changed his name. He's a tremendous Marbitz Torah throughout the world as well. Second story took place. There was a Bachori learning in the Matasarfa Yeshiva. At that time, Matasarfa Yeshiva was a Hasidic Yeshiva. And they had certain standards that had to be met. One of the standards they had was, you cannot have secular books in yeshiva. What you do outside, we can't control that. But a good Hasidic Bachar should not have books that are written by non-Jewish authors. It's not, has no place. Turns out there was one person, he was a brilliant guy. He was able to follow shiur all the time. He came to Shacharit, he came to Minchad. He didn't break any of the rules. The only thing that he had to think for was reading non-Jewish novels. He really enjoyed them. He enjoyed the intrigue and the suspense. And there weren't anything that was available at that level for him that he felt very good reading that. And eventually he got caught with those books. So they told him he has to speak to the Rosh Hashiv, the Matasafarov. The Matasafarov sat down with him, and this buckle was shaking. He thought for sure he was going to be thrown out. Because that's the one, they had a few rules. The one rule that they had, which they actually implemented, they're very strong about, was you should not have secular books. You're a Hasidish Yeshiva. You have a higher standard. He knew he was a goner. The Matasafarov started speaking to him. How's Yeshiva doing? It's Yeshiva, the Rosh Hashiva, and Shiurim, etc., how are things going, Chavrutot, all that. And then he took his hands and he very softly goes, I'm sure you know the real reason why you're here. He's like, okay, here we go. He says, yes, I know. He says, and I just want to tell you the following. Just think of this. Whatever you read at night, you're probably going to fall asleep to that. And if you fall asleep to that, you're going to wake up in the morning with those same thoughts or even different thoughts predicated on that. And that could ruin your whole day. Because how you get up in the morning sets the tone for the whole day. Don't you want it to be a great day? And suddenly he says, of course I want it to be a great day. Right then he stopped cold turkey because of the warmth that the Matasafarov had. He wasn't going to give him Musad and tell him that. He just said, why would you want that for yourself? Start off the right way. Start off with a bank. Start off the right proper way. He said, to this day, he has great grandchildren. who are all all because of the warmth that Matasafarov had for him at that time. And he said to him, don't you want to start off the day the right way? We could all speak to people in a way that people feel comfortable. You don't talk down to them. You talk up to them. More is expected of you. You want to start off the right way, don't you? Not like, what are you doing? Don't you know better? No one likes to be talked down like that. They say that Rev Itzikol, the first Vorkarov, the story goes that he was a tremendous Baltzaka. So much so that everyone, even the non-Jews, knew that you could come knocking on his door. 
Rebitzikol would open and give you something. So the story goes, it was Friday night. He just made Hamotzi. He cut the challah, gave to himself and then to his wife. And then, here's a knock on the door. He opens the door. He sees this disheveled-looking non-Jew. How do you know he's non-Jew? Guy had a big cross hanging from his neck. And he did not look too pleasant. He says, I heard that the rabbi gives out free food. Is that true? Uh, oh, that bread smells so... Can I please have a piece of bread? I feel like I'm going to die. Please, can I please have a piece of bread? They're looking at challah, Shabbat Kodesh, a guy. Uh, the Rebetzin, who was there at the challah, because Rebetzin, he answered the door. Rebetzin was holding the challah. She's like trying to move the challah away. Be like, oh no, we ran out. You just missed it. We just ate it. Rebetzin goes, no, 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 that's not true. And he says to her in Yiddish, cut the challah. It's not like you're cutting blood. I mean, you're just cutting, you're not cutting anyone. And just give him a piece, a generous piece, he said to her in Yiddish. Give him a generous piece. They gave him a nice slice challah, a big, thick piece. It was probably like a quarter of the challah. They gave it to this person. He scarfed it down. He ate it down. And he finished eating it. Says, thank you. You have no idea what you did for me. Okay? Sometime later, Rabitzikal had to go on a journey, and his wagon driver decided to take a shortcut. And as we all know, when you take a shortcut, the probability of getting lost is much greater. So they got lost. Anyways, the guy gets off the wagon. He says, listen, I'm going to try to find my way. I'm going to retrace my steps. Rabitzikal was all alone by himself in this carriage when suddenly he heard horses coming close to him. And lo and behold, it's a whole gang, a whole group of thugs surround him. He's all by himself. They say, oh, we got an old rabbi Jew. Wait until we bring him to the boss. We're going to torture him in front of the boss and kill him. They drag it, Rabitzikal, to this cave and they're waiting for the boss to come and they're saying how they're going to kill him, which way they're going to kill him, which knives they're going to use, they're going to shoot him with a gun. They had all these, they're saying out loud how they're going to torture him before they kill him. Ritzikol with the entire time was calm, but he heard how they're speaking. And then suddenly who walks in? That person who he gave the challah to. He says, the rabbi? You're going to hurt the rabbi? No, you're not. He saved my life. Get him, get him, get him off the chains and get him free. I, I command you, you take him back to the town. I know exactly where he lives. He saved my life. And the story goes, is that when Ritzikol came back, the wagon driver was busy trying to find people if they could help him go back. And Rebitzko came in. Whoa, how did you do that? That's a nice, it's a miracle. He told him the whole story. When he came home, Rebitzko told his wife, you should just know, you thought you were cutting hell. And I said, what is this, like cutting a person's skin? Hey, are we cutting, letting out blood? It was, it was literally saving my life because I showed some warmth to another human being. It literally saved my life. You never know what you could do for another person. That little bit of warmth. How could save someone? People don't realize this, but you have to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There is a family, I don't know who they are. And to tell you the truth, I don't even think they know who they are. There is a family in Moscow, Moscow, Russia, and Russia. And this family, they were kind to a very interesting young boy, Vladimir, and they treated him very nicely. Friday night when Vladimir came home and he saw that his parents weren't there, this family, they had their, their small little Shabbat Suda. Vladimir would be bored. They would call him in and they'd give him some hot soup, talk to him about his day, how his week. He was basically incorporated in the family. They made him feel like a million bucks and they always asked about his welfare. Because of this family's kindness, this young Vladimir, Vladimir Putin, I should say, when he grew up to eventually become, right now, he's basically running, running a lot of things. Let's just put it that way, okay? Let's put it nicely. He's running a lot of things. One thing he always says over is, I will never, ever forget the warmth that that Jewish family, that Orthodox Jewish family did for me. 
Orthodox Jews are the real Jews, and I have such respect for them. I'll do anything for them. That's amazing. That's an amazing statement to come out of a world leader. That this family, they, I don't even think they know that they did that. I don't even know if they're alive right now. But the point is, they did this unbelievable chesed. They gave warmth to another human being. And look at the residual results. Amazing Kiddush Hashem. They say that Rav Shlomo Zaman Arbach was an unbelievable Gaon. He was unbelievable in Kiddush Torah and everything, Halakha. But one thing he was an even bigger Gaon was understanding people. And the story goes, is there, was, there was two people, they married, they were secular Israelis, they got married, they are Chosim B'tshuva, and he started, and what happened was, the husband, he got on the fast lane, and the wife was stuck in traffic. But they were both on the same highway. And they were both trying, in their own way, to get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But this guy, he was going, he was going really fast. And she, was, she couldn't keep up. Eventually, she started to keep up, and make a long story short, one point of contention that kept on coming over and over and over, to the point that the person's like, okay, forget it, I'm just going to divorce you was to cover her hair. So he says, you know what? I'm going to ask for Shlomo Zalman Arbach. I can't do this anymore. This is embarrassing. My kids are in regular Jewish day schools and they come home. They are too embarrassed to bring their friends over because their mother, people say, oh, she's the cleaning lady, right? Oh, is she an aunt of your, we know their husband, you told us your family's religious. Well, how come your mother, your mother doesn't look religious? It was embarrassing. None of the kids wanted to ever come home. They were so embarrassed about their mother. So he came to Shlomo Zalman Arbach and he said, what should I do? Shlomo Zalman says, let me ask you a question. Do you know what it is for a woman to cover her hair? Do you understand that Chazal tells us, Sar Isha Erva? Why are they saying that? It's not just a guzma. They're just telling you, for a woman, her hair means a lot to her. If you married religious, both you really, and then she started going, then it's a different story. That's not you did, and that's not appropriate. It's, that's, that's, that's very, very improper for her to do that. But if both of you are Chazim and Shuvah, she doesn't know any better. For her to give that up, do you know how difficult that is for her? You don't know what that is. So she'll get out of the traffic jam and she'll eventually, she'll follow you. But don't thrust that on her. At the right time, she'll choose. This person came home. And wife's like, so what happened? Ah, what, what, you didn't like it? What happened? Tell me what happened. Anyways, he said, what happened? She goes, oh, he's a smart rabbi. He's 100% right. You don't know what it is for me, for me to do. I don't know if I could do it. He says, you know what? The rabbi told me, this is your decision. Whatever you do, I love you. And I understand. It's very difficult for you. Later in the evening, when she was preparing supper, she puts down the food as he's getting ready to eat. He's about to make the bracha, and suddenly he looks up. His wife was covering her hair. And she said, if the rabbi told you that you were willing to do something for me, I'm going to show you, I'm going to do something for you as well. I hope I could do this. Please support me. That's all she wanted. All she wanted was that recognition. She wanted that warmth, that love. I'm here for you, I understand. It's very difficult for you, but I'm here for you. That's all she wanted to hear. And once she heard that, she said, I'm willing to do it for you as well. The Lubavitcher Rebbe, he made a tenai that when he became the Rebbe in 1951, he told his Hasidim, he said, if you want me to be Kedushin, which is very unusual back in the 50s, he says, the only way I'll be Mesadek Kedushin is if you're a real Hasid. What's a real Hasid? Under the Chupam, you wear a long kapata, you wear your gato, you look like a Hasid, like a Lubavitcher Hasid should, and your wife has to cover her hair. Back in the 50s, almost no one covered their hair in America. It was, it was a very interesting time. So this Hasid, he was going out with a young woman, and she came from a very fine home. The only problem was is that she was a destitute orphan, and she had no one else. And everyone said wonderful things about her. Their personalities matched. So he went into the rabbi to discuss whether or not he should get engaged to this young woman. 
as they're talking, suddenly out of the blue, the Hasid said, out of the blue, I don't even know why he mentioned that. It wasn't even relevant to the conversation we were talking about. Out of the blue, suddenly the Rebbe picked up his hand and stopped and says, you do know that a person is brought down on this world to do avat chinam, total unbridled love of another person. And real avat chinam means not what makes me feel good that I did something for someone else. It's what does the other person need? And if they need that thing, I'm there for them. I just want to tell you that. So the Hasid didn't say anything, but he was like, oh, okay, that's avat chinam. What does that have to do with anything? He was about to get engaged. And then before they got engaged, he mentioned, by the way, you know, I'm very close with the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And I have tremendous itkashu to him. I feel so close to him. And it would be such an honor if he could come be Misadek Dushin at our wedding. She goes, oh, that sounds amazing. I heard he's an unbelievable person. Sure. He says, but there's one tiny little thing that we have to do. I mean, I'm going to do it too. I don't feel comfortable. I mean, I'm a young guy, but I'm going to wear my kapata. Yeah. I'm going to wear my gartel. Yeah. And you're going to have to cover your hair under the chuppah. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not wearing the, no, no, no. No, no, no. Absolutely not. Only old ladies cover their hair. I'm not covering my hair. Are you crazy? Suddenly thoughts flash through his mind. Lady, you're going to do that to me? Okay, I'll throw you away. I don't have anything to do. What, are you, what you think this is a joke? You know how much this means to me. wasn't a chidush. I told you, I'm a chassid l'bavit this is This is part of being a chassid. What did you not understand? And these thoughts are flying through his mind. Then suddenly, he remembers the Rebbe's hand picking, being picked up. And he hears the Rebbe saying to him, Avat chinam means doing what the other person needs. This is what she needs. She needs me to be here for her. So he took a deep breath and goes, if it really means a lot to you that you don't cover your hair, even though I'm a Lubavitcher Chassid and the Rebbe won't come, it's more important for me that you are happy. And therefore, if it's not comfortable for you, then I guess I won't have the Lubavitcher Rebbe being Masada Kedushin. Suddenly she goes, oh my gosh, I feel so bad. I feel so guilty. I didn't mean that. No, 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 no. No, have the Lubavitcher Rebbe. No, he's not going to come if you don't feel you know what? No. I'm going to wear a head covering. I'm going to have a shaitel. I'm going to wear that because I know how important it is for you. Flipped it. She totally flipped it on him. Can you imagine what that marriage looked like? It was probably bliss. Every marriage has bumps every now and then. But the fact that each one was given to the other, the warmth, the love they showed to one another, that's Shim Shotayach. That's a beautiful blazing sun. And a final idea. Rashach was approached by... Someone who was an unbelievable Jose B'Tshuva. Him, his wife, his entire family, they went 0 to 60 in a couple seconds. The only problem was that they had a 15-year-old son who wasn't as religious as they were, but he was following along. He was following the Tochnit. He was following along. But where the person dug his heels in and he said, you're not going near this thing, was the TV in the living room. He said, I come home after a day yeshiva. I just want to relax. I want to turn on the channel. I want to watch... I want to watch Kadoregel, I want to watch soccer, I want to see what's going on in the news, I want to see the weather, I want to see world events. This is my source of knowledge. Very hard. I'm not, no, absolutely not. You're throwing the TV out, you're throwing me out too. I'm not doing that. Absolutely not. I agree with everything else, this I'm not agreeing to. So they went to Rav Shach and they said, what should we do? Real Jose Bichuva, and we know your stance on TV is very strong. What should we do? Rav Shach said the following. Tell your boy the following. I love you. I want you to feel happy. Your home is here with us. We love you. We're our family. We're all as one. I want you to know something. The TV is going to stay here. I personally, I have much more important things to do with my time. But if you want the TV here, it's for you. Your home is here. We want you here. After a few years, the boy eventually stopped watching TV. And he was eventually Jose Bichuva. Totally.
And he said, please take the TV on. Because the father couched it in warmth and love. You belong here. We want you here. This is what you need. We're not going to throw you out. Chas shalom. No, you have, you have a place right here. The warmth. I've got more important things to do. It's nothing to do with you. It's with me. I'm not going to watch the TV. I've got more important things to do. And by the way, you should know, parenthetically, I know people who Rav Shach actually told to that when they said that their kid was going through a real rough kufa, and he said something like to the parents, like, oh, you would never hang out with me like my friends do when I go to the movies. Rav Shach said, tell that boy you're going to go with him to the movies. Tell him. People, you understand, when we come from Eretz Yisrael, right? That's like crazy, right? Tell him you'll go with him to the movies. You don't want to lose this boy. He's your child. Your child wants to see, is Abba there for me? Is Tati there for me? Is he there? And you have to say, yes, it's a resounding yes. It's not even a question. You know you're going to be there. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.